Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our weekly Parsha Shir. This week, of course, we are studying Parshas Vayetze, and the Parsha tells us about the birth out of, of 11 out of 12 of Yaakov's sons, the famous Shvatim. 11 of them are born in this week's Parsha. Only Binyamin is born later in, in experience, the Torah says, in a later Parsha. The first of the 12, of course, to be born is Reuven. Reuven, son of Leah and son of Yaakov. With regard to the choice of name, Reuven, there is really a fascinating explanation on why he's named Reuven in the Gemara Mesech de Brochus, practically the beginning of Shas, Daf Zion, Ahmed Beis. Reuven, says the Gemara, Omar Rabbi Lozar, Rabbi Lozar said, Omar Leah, when Leah named him Reuven, there was a special kavana, there was a special intent. She was articulating something very unique. Reu, said Leah, ma bein bni lebein chami. Reuven, says the, Gemara, says the Gemara, said Leah, is a combination of two words. Reuven, see the sun. See, said Leah, take notice. The difference, the distinction between my firstborn son and the firstborn son of my father-in-law, Yitzchak. The firstborn son of Yitzchak was, of course, Esav. The Ilu ben Chomi, when it comes to Esav, the firstborn son of my father-in-law, Yitzchak. Afal gav although he, Esav, sold his firstborn rights willingly. As the Torah says clearly that he, Esav, sold his birthright to Yaakov. Nevertheless, says Leah, what does it say at the end? When Yaakov actually took the cashed in, if you will, on the firstborn rights and took the brachas of Yitzchok, it says, and Esav harbored hatred towards his brother Yaakov for taking the brachas which Yaakov rightfully owned because Esav had willingly and knowingly sold his firstborn rights to his brother Yaakov. Uksiv, and even furthermore, Esav says, Yaakov, Esav says to his father Yitzchak, is his name in fact Yaakov? How becoming is that name? When he has outwitted me, when he has deceived me twice. By taking the firstborn rights and by taking the blessing. So although Esav willingly, knowingly, consciously, intentionally sold the firstborn rights to Yaakov, nevertheless he's angry, he's resentful, he's bitter, he, he denies even actually knowingly selling it to Yaakov, he, 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 he makes the case that Yaakov has outwitted him and fooled him. Compare that, said Leah, to my firstborn, my firstborn son, Reuven. Whereas my son Ruvain says Leah, although one day Yosef, the firstborn son of Rochel, will take away his firstborn rights against his will. as the Posak says, because Ruvain had defiled and desecrated his father's bed, Apostle in Divrei Yomim. Because Reuven had defiled and desecrated his father's bed, his Bechoyro, his firstborn rights against his will, was given to Yosef and his children. Afilu Nevertheless, Reuven is never jealous of Yosef. 
As the Pesach says, Vayishma Reuven, Reuven heard that Yosef's brothers were, cry, were trying to kill him. And he, Reuven, saved Yosef from their hands. End of quote in the Gemara. Let's, let's chew that over just for a minute. Leah names her son Reuven, her firstborn son, the first of all 12 sons to be born to Yaakov, Reuven. Leah names him Reuven, says the Gemara. She had a very special intent. She, she, was, com- she was communicating something profound. Reuben, she said, see my son and see my firstborn son and contrast him to the firstborn son of my father-in-law Yitzchak. She doesn't even want to say his name. Contrast the way my son Reuven deals with losing his firstborn rights to the way Esav deals with losing his firstborn rights. When it comes to Esav, says Leah, when it comes to Esav, says Leah, the mother of Ruvain, actually Esav willingly, knowingly, consciously, intentionally sold it for a pot of lentil soup, not seeing any significance in it at the time. As we learned last week, he, he disgraces the firstborn, right? He sells it. He says, of what use is it to me? I'm going to die anyways. So he sells it to Yaakov willingly. And yet not only does he despise Yaakov for it, not only does he want to kill Yaakov for it, but he, doesn't, he refuses to even acknowledge the legitimacy of the sale, uh, the legitimacy of the sale which he entered into willingly. And will later claim that Yaakov had outwitted him and outsmarted him. So although he sold it willingly, he denied the legitimacy of the sale, hated Yaakov for buying it and wants to kill him because of it. Whereas my son, says Leah, Reuven, who is supposed, who's actually the firstborn, Yaakov's firstborn son, will one day lose his firstborn rights. They'll be taken away from him. They'll be given to Yosef Rochel's firstborn son against his will. And yet, not only is Ruve not harboring hatred toward Yosef for taking the firstborn rights, not only is Ruve not angry with Yosef, not only is Ruve, not only does Ruve not make any attempt to hurt Yosef, but quite the contrary, when the brothers intend to kill Yosef, Ruve is the one who steps in and saves Yosef. As we'll learn in two parshias from now, in Parshas Vayeshev, the brothers intend to kill Yosef. They say, let's kill him and throw him into a pit. It was Reuven who saves them. Reuven hears the plans of the brothers to kill Yosef. And he saved Yosef from their hand and said, no, we're not going to, let's, we're not, let's not kill any human being. This is what the Gemara says. Rashi quotes it. In Chumash, actually, on the words Vatikra Shmoy Reuven. If you have a Chumash in front of you, open Perak Choftes. Perak Choftes, Posag Lamed Beis. Vatar Leah, the Posag says, Leah became pregnant. Vatelet Bein, and she gave birth to a son. Vatikra Shmoy Reuven. And she named him Reuven. And immediately on the words Vatikra Shmoy Reuven, Rashi quotes this Gemara that Leah was contrasting her, for, her firstborn son, Reuven, to Yitzchak's firstborn son, Esav. Esav sold his, first, his, his birthright, was, was resentful, was, was actually in denial, denies the fact that he willingly and, and, and legitimately sold it, and despises Yaakov for it to the point that he wants to kill him. Whereas Reuven, who loses his firstborn rights to Yosef, actually is the one single-handedly, directly responsible for saving Yosef's life. All right. This is what's written in the Gemara.
Now, to tell you the truth, when the commentaries encounter this passage in Gemara, and similarly, this comment of Rashi on the Pasuk quoted from the Gemara, the commentaries all jump out of their seats. It's actually an incredibly difficult Gemara to understand. Although the points the Gemara makes are beautiful, Esav was a big Russia, he sold his firstborn rights, uh, you know, etc., etc. Ruvain is a great tzaddik, no question about it. If you contrast the two, of course, you can see the difference between a great tzaddik and a great Russia, all beautiful. However, it seems very difficult to accept that this is the reason why Leah named her son Ruvain. After all, the same posuk in which it says that Leah became pregnant, and the same posuk in which it says that Leah gave birth to a son, and the same posuk in which it says that Leah named him Ruvain, articulates Leah's reason for why she named him Ruvain. And it has nothing to do with Esau. And it has nothing to do with the fact that Ruvain deals with losing his firstborn rights differently than Esau does. Instead, quote, Ki Omra, the Pasuk says, she named him Ruvain because she says, because she, Leah, said, Ki Ro'o Hashem Ba'onyi, Hashem has seen my suffering. Ki Ato Ye'ehovani Ishi, and now my husband will love me. You see, the Pasuk before that, Pasuk Lamar Aleph, says, Vayar Hashem Ki Leah. Hashem saw that Leah was despised. Very strong word. Hashem saw that Leah was hated. Almighty God opened her womb, blessed her with children. While Rochel remained barren. So she becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a son and she names him Reuben, the Torah says. And she articulates and she says, because now Hashem has seen my suffering, now my husband will love you. The Gemara says, Reuben is Reuben. See, bain means the distinction. Ma bain bni bain chami. See the difference. What is the difference between my firstborn and the firstborn of my father-in-law? The Torah, the pasuk itself, gives a completely different reason. Ru bain says. Ruvain says the Torah says the pasuk is ro'o Hashem be'onyi. Ruvain Hashem saw my suffering. Leah says Hashem saw my pain and gave me a child, so my husband should love me. How does the Gemara? give a reason for why Leah named her son Ruvain that's completely different to the reason that the Pasuk itself says Leah, gave, Leah named her son Ruvain. And Rashi quotes it without even pausing for reflection. Oh, Vatikra Shemai Ruvain, says Rashi, because she wanted to highlight the difference between, between Ruvain and Esau. That's why she named him Ruvain. Keep reading, the Torah says the next few words why she named him Ruvain. Because she felt that Hashem had seen her suffering and knew that her husband would now love her. This is a question that's, that's spoken about by many, of the, many, many of the commentaries. Um, and they give many, many different answers. I, I, will, only, uh, I will only say, um, there's a famous answer on this from the Groh, from the Vilna Gohan. The Groh says that if you look at the way the Torah structures Ruvain, Ruvain's name, and the reason for why he was named Ruvain, you'll see he says that it's different than all of the other, all of the other Shvatim. With all of the other Shvatim, the Torah gives the reason first and then the name. Right? With all of them, it says, like for example, when Yehuda it says, this time I'm going to thank Hashem, and she named him Yehuda. Right? Uh, this time my husband will be connected to me, and she named him Levi, etc. First the reason and then the name. This time the Torah gives the name first and then the reason. 
So the Gros says, from, the, the, from this, the Gomorrah sees that there was actually another reason. Because by right, you have to, the reason, he says, should always come first. First, you give a reason, then you say what the fact is. Here, the Torah does it the other way around. First, the name, then the reason. So from this, the Gemara says we can understand that there was a different reason that was lurking in the background for why she named him Reuven. And so the Gemara gives this explanation for, for this other explanation, this alternate explanation for why she named him Reuven, Reuven to contrast Reuven and Esau. The Lubavitcher Rebbe addressed this question in one of his sikhas printed in Lukut HaSichas Chaylek uh, Yud. And there he gives... Um, among many things, he gives an answer in pshat, in, in, because of course Rashi has come to explain to us first and foremost the pshat of the psukim. So the Rebbe gives an explanation that, that fits uh, into the pshat, into the simple, if you will, or, or initial understanding of, of the pasuk, um, Chumash and Rashi, as it should be read. The Rebbe would often say that, would often remind us, would often highlight that Rashi's interpretation is intended to be learned by a Ben Chomesh Lamikra, by a five year old child who's learning Chomesh for the first time and has sort of a, a straight, if you will, um, blank slate in terms of their, of their understanding. Has not yet studied any of the commentaries or any of the Gemara. And Rashi teaches them how to understand the Posik in the direct, initial way. And the Rebbe says, look, the fact that Leah had a firstborn son and, she was, and she's now saying, Hashem saw my suffering, now my husband will love me, says the, says the Rebbe, this explanation that's given by the Posuk needs additional explanation. After all, this is not the first time when it comes to the Ovais, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, it's not the first time that a Bechoyer is born. Avraham had a Bechoyer, Yishmol. Yitzchak had a Bechoyer, Esav. Now Yaakov has a Bechoyer, Reuven. So Yaakov has a Bechor called Reuven. Leah says, oh, Baruch Hashem, now my husband is going to love me. I've given him a son. Baruch Hashem, Mazel Tov. Says the Rebbe, the child, even the Ben Chomesh Lamikra, even a five-year-old child who learns this possible will jump in their seat and say, wait a second, wait a second. The track record that the Ovois have with having firstborn sons is not very good. Why is Leah so convinced? Now my husband is going to love me? Really? We've had firstborns in the past and they did not turn out well at all. Where's this confidence coming from that Leah says that now that I have a firstborn, now my husband will love me? Ah, says Rashi. Because Leah saw through prophecy that her firstborn son would be a tzaddik unlike any of the other firstborn sons that were born to Avram and Yitzchak until now. So the reason why she names him Ruvain is because she says, now my husband will love me. And if you'll ask why she's so sure that my husband will love me, says Rashi, I'll tell you why. Because Leah sees through prophecy that this firstborn son is not going to be the same as the other firstborn sons. And so she says, see the difference between my son and the son of my father, Yitzchok, or, his, or his father, Avram, because, of, because my son actually will be a tzaddik. She's sure, Leah is sure, that, that her husband will love her. Basically, what the Rebbe is saying is these are new, not two different reasons. The two reasons complement each other. She named him Ruvain because she said, my, Hashem saw my suffering, now my husband will love me. Why is she so sure that my husband will love me for giving him a firstborn son? On its own merit, just having a firstborn son is not necessarily a reason for my husband to love me. We've had firstborns in the past, didn't work out well. So Rashi adds, Vatikra Shemay Ruvain, she saw in the future that he would be a great tzaddik. If she saw it in the future, we can, we can assume, we can safely assume, Yaakov sees this in, in the future. So they know that this is a tzaddik. 
This is going to be a tzaddik, which is why Leah is confident that now that the son is born, my husband will love me. Okay. I think it's fair to say that, of course, in this idea, in this principle that the Rebbe lays down, that the reason, the two reasons, the reason articulated by the Pasuk for why he was named Ruvain, Leah said, now my husband will love me. And the reason articulated by the Gemara, that the Gemara says Leah is contrasting Ruvain and Esav, what the Rebbe is saying is that these two reasons inherently are one reason. I think we can understand this idea in a much, much broader sense. Let's take a breath here, and let's take a step back. Let's, let's zoom out the lens, and let's start thinking about what's really going on here. It's true, Yaakov was tricked into marrying Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel. He even anticipated that Esav was going to trick him. It's not for now, but the Gemara says that the very first time Yaakov and Rochel met by the well, Rochel warned him that her father Esav is going to try to trick him into marrying Leah. All right. It's true that Rochel gave Leah the simonim, and that's how Yaakov doesn't recognize Leah all night. It's only in the morning, the Torah says, only in the morning, it's discovered, Yaakov discovered that he marries Leah. It's true. But... Yaakov stays married to Leah and has, and, and, and has many children with her. And she's one of, his, one of his four wives. And yet, the Torah says something that is really very difficult to understand if you think about it. Again, in, in Perak Choftes, Posek Lamed Aleph, the Torah says, Vayar Hashem kisnu Leah. Hashem saw that Leah was hated. Vayiftach Rachman, he opened her womb. He opened her womb. Later on, when Leah has her second son, Shimon, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, Vatar Oid Vatelet Bein, Leah has a second son, Vatoyma, she says, Kishoma Hashem Kisnua Anoichi. Hashem heard that I was hated. Again, that word. And she names his son, and she named, she named her son Shimon. Halachically, a man is not allowed to stay married to a wife if Rahman al-Islam, he hates her. This is not permitted. He's definitely not allowed to have children with her if he hates her. They're not allowed to live together as husband and wife. It's forbidden. And this is even for regular Jews like you and I. Does the Torah actually mean that Yaakov hated Leah? Why? Because she tricked him? Because she, she was complicit in, in, in him being fooled into marrying Rochel's sister, not the woman he loves sister, not the woman he loves? And by the way, this is very difficult to understand. And by the way, the Torah doesn't say anywhere that Yaakov hated Rochel. And Rochel was just as much complicit in, the, in, the despi- in, in, the, in, the, in Yaakov being fooled into marrying Leah um, not just Rochel, just as much as Leah was, because Rochel gave Leah the simonim. It doesn't say anywhere that Yaakov hated Rochel. But yet, when it, comes to, when it comes to Leah, we find that the Torah uses this word, and it's, it's, really, it's really unnerving. Why would the Torah say this? And, and about such people, I mean, our ancestors... Vayar Hashem Kisnua Leah, that Leah was hated, very difficult to understand. And then the commentaries make an additional 
observation here, which, which makes the issue even more confusing. When Yaakov, after being fooled into marrying Leah, makes another deal with Lovan, and Lovan agrees to give him, in addition to Leah, Rachel as well, the, posik, the Torah says, again, Perakhov test, Posak Lamad, Gabal Rochel, so Yaakov marries Rochel as well, quote, have and he loved Rochel more than Leah. And he loved Rochel more than Leah. Wait a second, say the commentaries. If he, <coughs> if he hated Leah, then the Posak shouldn't say that he loved Rochel more than Leah, it should say that he loved Rochel and he hated Leah. But yet it doesn't say that. It says, He loved Rochel more than Leah. That means what? That means that he also loved Leah. It's just that he loved Rochel more. So this becomes incredibly difficult to understand. Which one is it? Does Yaakov hate Leah? Or does he love Leah? In at least two psukim it says that Yaakov hated her. Hashem saw that Leah was hated, and Leah says, Hashem heard that I was hated. And then in the beginning, the Torah says, He loved Rachel more than Leah. So he must have loved Leah too. Otherwise, how could he love Rachel more than Leah? And really, at the heart of it, the question is, what, what, what's the Torah, what does this even mean? How, I mean? how do we even talk this way? I mean, these are our great-grandparents said, yeah, that, that Yaakov hated Leah, Rachman, what, what, what in heaven's name is this supposed to mean? Okay. So there is a very famous and really very profound explanation on this idea, on the, on the emotional relationship from Yaakov to Leah. Here it is. It's based on the idea that we said, that we refer to, the Torah refers to Lovan, the father of Rochel and Leah, as Lovan Hoarami, Lovan the scandler, Lovan the, the deceitful one, Lovan the, the liar. In the Chumash, we refer to Lovan as Arami Oived Ovi. Arami Lovan, the, the scammer, the swindler, Oived Ovi, that tried to destroy Yaakov, that tried to destroy the Jewish people. Now, where do we find that Lovan tried to destroy the Jewish people? Where do we find that Lovan tried? We found that Lovan didn't get along with Yaakov so well, right? Uh, Lovan, it says at the end of this parasha, wanted to harm Yaakov, but we don't find anywhere that he wanted to destroy him. What's this business that we refer to Lovan as Arami Oivet Ovi? Okay. Or in the, in the, in the Haggadah Shel Pesach, uh, we say, um, Lovan bikesh lakor esakoyl. Lovan wanted to uproot everything. He wanted to destroy the Jewish nation. Where do we, where do we see this? What's, what's the basis for this? Okay, so hold on to your heads. The commentaries take us on a fascinating journey here. If you remember, the initial deal between Yaakov and Lovan is that Yaakov comes to Lovan in the beginning. And he tells him, look, I... Uh, um, ya- Yaakov loves Rachel, so ya- Yaakov tells Lavan, I'll work for you for seven years, for your daughter, do- for Rachel, your younger, younger, younger daughter. All right, Lavan seems to agree, Lavan seems to agree, uh, be it as it may, they make this deal, and Yaakov works for him for seven years. Yaakov says to Lovan, at the end of working for him for seven years, he says, give me my wife. For my days are full, I've served my time. So that I may 
live with her, so that I may be intimate with her. Says Rashi, V'avoyo eleho, Rashi says, Yaakov asks Lovan for his daughter Rochel as agreed, V'avoyo eleho, so that I can have relations with her. Rashi says, V'aloi kal shabakalim eno emarkein. Rashi says, Rashi says, wait a second, what kind of a way is this to talk? It's enough. Wouldn't it have just been enough for Yaakov to say to Lovan, okay, time has come to arrange a wedding? Why is Yaakov speaking about, about intimacy? Why is Yaakov saying, okay, give me Rachel, you know, time has come. <laughs> Rashi says, even a, uh, I translate culture B'Kalim, even the most light-minded, even, even culture B'Kalim, even the most insensitive people don't talk this way with a woman you're going to marry. What is he saying? Elo, what does Yaakov mean? Yaakov knows that he's destined to have 12 Shabbatim, 12 sons, the, all the ancestors of Klal Yisrael. At this point, before Yaakov marries Rochel or Leah, when he's asking Lovon for Rochel's hand in marriage, Yaakov anticipates that all 12 Shvatim are going to be born to him from Rochel. Yaakov anticipates that he's going to have one wife, Rochel, the one he loves, and all 12 of the Shvatim are going to be born to him from Rochel. Now, let's close our eyes for a second, and let's imagine, let's think to ourselves, what would happen if, if instead of Yaakov having four wives... Right? Leah giving him six. The other three giving him two each. He would marry one wife, Rochel, and Rochel would give him all twelve. And Hashem would bless her with strength, and Hashem would bless the couple with money to hire enough night nurses that they should be able from one woman to have twelve shvatim. May Hashem bless us all. How would Jewish history, this is a fascinating exercise the commentaries take us on, how would Jewish history evolve from here if all 12 Shvatim would have been born, not from four women, Rochel, Leah, Bila, and Zilpah, but from one, just Rochel, the one that Yaakov loves. Okay. So the commentaries say like this. Observation number one, there would be no animosity between the brothers because they would all be brothers of the same mother. You see, the reason why later on we're going to learn that there's strife, that there's animosity between the brothers, between the sons of Rochel, and the sons of Leah is because the sons of Leah carried a bit of a chip on their shoulder over the fact that Yaakov loved Rochel more than their own mother. That's the reason why they were jealous of Yosef, the son of Yaakov's favorite wife. That's the reason why at some point they intended to kill him. All right? Ruvain talks them out of it. They don't kill him. They sell him as a slave to get rid of him. They tell Yaakov he's dead. Yaakov mourns him for 22 years. Okay. But Yosef isn't killed. Yosef is sold as a slave. Yosef ends up in Mitzrayim. You know the rest of the story. He ends up in prison for refusing the advances of Potiphar's wife. In prison, he interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker. The butler survives Haroi has dreams that he cannot interpret. The butler remembers Yosef. Yosef is summoned. Yosef interprets Paroi's dreams correctly. Paroi appoints Yosef to be the viceroy over all of Egypt, which becomes the most powerful superpower of the time because it's the only country that has food. The hunger, the, the famine ravishes the rest of the world. 
And so Yosef becomes the most powerful man in the world. The brothers, not knowing who he is, have to come down to Yosef for the sake of food. Yosef gives them food and then tells them all, here's the punchline, to come down to Mitzrayim, which they do, where Yosef can feed them and provide for them and take care of them as the most powerful person in Mitzrayim, which by extension means the most powerful person in the world. So the Jewish nation end up in Mitzrayim, where Yosef takes care of them until he turns 110 years old. Chazak, chazak, v'niz chazak. That's where Chumash Bereshis ends. But then comes Chumash Mois. And Chumash Mois continues to tell the story, but this time in a very different direction. You see, the fact that the Jewish people ended up in Mitzrayim was what made it possible for, for Paroi to subjugate them, torture them, and enslave them. So in the end, the hatred, the jealousy, the animosity between the brothers causes Yosef to be sold to Mitzrayim, causes the family, Yaakov and his family to descend to Mitzrayim, and as a result of that, what, what materializes from that is actually Golos Mitzrayim. The Golos Mitzrayim, the 210 years that the Jewish people were in Egypt, from the time Yaakov moved down there with his family until the time they left at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, all of this is facilitated by the hatred between the brothers. And the hatred between the brothers is all because Yaakov doesn't just marry Rochel, he also marries Leah. Some sons born from Leah, some sons born from Rochel, and the animosity develops between them. So we say in the Haggadah, the commentaries say, Lovon bikesh lakoyrasakoyl. Lovon is an anti-Semite. Lovon is a bloodthirsty Nazi, Yemachshem Lovon is one who seeks to annihilate the Jewish people. So what does he do? What does he do? He creates a scenario where he can tell, he can predict, he does something to, to shove a wedge in between the Jews and make them turn on each other. And because of that, Rahman al-Islam, the Jewish people ended up in Mitzrayim. And you'll say, okay, but they ended up being liberated from Mitzrayim. Not so quickly, our rabbis tell us. Being liberated from Mitzrayim was not the end of our suffering. Golos Mitzrayim, Roish Lechol Agoliyos, the rabbis tell us, from Egypt evolved all of the other Golos and all the exiles that we experience till this very day in the year 5784, where we're still in Golos, is all still because of Golos Mitzrayim. And Golos Mitzrayim came from the strife between the brothers, the strife between the sons of Yosef, between, between, between the sons of Yaakov, who didn't get along with each other. And that happened... Because Yaakov, because Lavan gave his daughter Leah to Yaakov as a wife instead of Rachel. Had all the sons been born from one woman, Rachel, the brothers would never have fought, at least not like that. And they would have never ended up in Mitzrayim or in any of the subsequent exiles after that. We're sitting here now, 5,784, 2,023. We've been in Golos for 2,000 years after the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. 70 years between the two Bate Mikdash. 40 years in the desert after the Jewish people left Mitzrayim. 400 and something years from when they got to Eretz Yisrael until they built the first base of Mikdash. Jewish people have been wandering basically for 4,000 years of our existence with some pockets of respite and relief. 
But the rest of the time we face the reality where in every generation they seek to annihilate us. And it all began with Golos Mitzrayim. And Golos Mitzrayim began with strife between the brothers. And strife between the brothers began because Lovon gave Leah to Yaakov rather than Rochel. Otherwise Yaakov would have had all his sons just from Rochel. Lovon tried to destroy us all, to annihilate our people by creating, by being single-handedly responsible for there being strife between Jews in the end. That's our Achilles heel. That's where we go down and collapse when we turn on each other. And Lovon is the one who facilitated this. Arami Oivadovi, we say. Lovon tried to destroy us. Okay. What about Leah? What about Leah herself? Leah herself went along with it. She also knew that Yaakov is destined to have 12 Shvatim. She also knew that the Jewish nation, all of Hashem's chosen people, are going to come from Yaakov. Perhaps she wanted to be part of it too. So when Lovan says to her, listen, I'm going to slip you in instead of Rachel, Leah goes along with it. And the next morning when Yaakov wakes up, he discovers he's married to Leah. Now Yaakov is a great tzaddik and he has tremendous ruach hakodesh. And he sees what's going to happen in the future. So he looks at his wife Leah and the Torah says, Bayar Hashem kisnu Leah. There's an element of hatred there. Now, does Yaakov actually hate Leah? Of course not. If he, like I mentioned before, if he hated her, he wouldn't be allowed to marry her and he definitely wouldn't be allowed to have children with her. He loves Leah. Yes, he loves Rachel more than Leah. That also needs to be understood. What does that mean? But the Torah says clearly that he loved her. It's just that he loves Rachel more. So, but yet the Torah also says that Yaakov hated her. It wasn't that he hated her personally. She was his wife, the mother of his children. But he hated what was going to happen as a result of the fact that he married Leah rather than Rachel. The strife that would emerge between his sons. The disastrous repercussions that would come from this. The fact, Rachman al-Islam, that one brother wants to kill another. L'chuvan ar-geyu, they say. Let's kill Yosef. The fact that this strife in the end is responsible for Yosef going down to Mitzrayim, for Yaakov himself and his entire family going to Mitzrayim and all of Golos Mitzrayim and 4,000 years of blood-soaked Jewish history, all because of strife between the Jews. Hashem Hashem sees the pain that Yaakov is experiencing every time he looks at Leah. Yaakov perhaps couldn't help wondering if only we had stuck to the original plan 12 sons from one woman, Rabboni Shalom, from Rachel and the Jewish children, the Jewish descendants would never fight with each other like this. Who knows how many thousands of years of pain and suffering and animosity and gullus and torture, Rahman al-Islam, we would have saved ourselves. It isn't Leah personally, of course, that Yaakov hates. It's what she represents. It's the repercussions of this. It's the repercussions of, 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 of Yaakov seeing Jewish history, what's going to emerge. The Mitzrayim that Yosef will go down to. And all that will, be, all that will come from that 
This is deeply despised by Yaakov. Which parent wouldn't cringe and despise knowing that this type of tsaurus would befall Klal Yisrael? Imagine Yaakov knowing that one day, Rahman al-Itzlan, little Jewish babies would be slaughtered if by a paroi himself to soak in their blood because the Egyptian doctors told him that that would be the way he would cure his saras. Or by the anti-Semitic beastly members of Hamas just a couple of weeks ago who did exactly the same thing as their ancestors Paroi did without even the excuse that they had saras. Or, every, or, or Hitler, or Yemach Shemoi or Homan, or Stalin, or every one of these people attacking his children. And it all emerges in a spiritual sense from Mitzrayim. Yaakov says, couldn't we just do away with all of this? Rabbeinu Shalolam. One woman, one wife, one mother, one family, one united family. The Jewish people would be saved from all of these tzoros. Vayar Hashem kisnu aleya. Hashem sees, Yaakov sees Leia. He's suffering. He's crying. This is what's destined for my children. So Lovon is an anti-Semite. Lovon is, Lovon is, 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 a, is, is a Hamas. Lovon is, is, is Rahman al-Islam like all the anti-Semites. Okay. Well, not okay, but, 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 but we, wouldn't, we wouldn't anticipate differently. But Leah, Rabbi Shalom, Yaakov says, but Leah went along with this. Yaakov is struggling. Vayar Hashem kisnu Leah. Hashem sees through Yaakov's eyes that Leah is hated. So Hashem does something unbelievable. Hashem relieves Yaakov from his pain. He opens Leah's womb. He opens Leah's womb. Leah becomes pregnant. And she gives birth to a son. And she names him Ruvain. And she says, now that I had this son Ruvain, Hashem has given him to me because Hashem sees my suffering. Now my husband will love me. Now my husband will love me. Now let's open a Gemara. Now let's open a Gemara. The Gemara perhaps is very puzzled by this. Now my husband will love me. Why? Because you gave birth to a son called Ruvain. Mazel Tov. We'll make a Shalom Zohar. We'll make a Bris. We'll do everything we're supposed to. But why is Leah so confident that now Yaakov is going to love me? Love me why? Yaakov is struggling with Jewish history that's going to emerge here. With the, with the split in the family, with the Shvotim, with Jews at each other's necks, Rahman al-Islam, jealous and angry and, 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 and uncovering all the most bitter and, 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 and worst, darkest of human character traits when Jews attack each other. That's what Yaakov is struggling with. You have a baby boy, new Mazel Tov. Now Leah says, now my husband is going to love me. Why? Why is she so sure that Hashem is going to love me? You want to know why, says the Gemara, Leah was so sure when she had her son Ruvain that Yaakov was going to love her? Pay attention. Says the Gemara, there's more, there's more to what Leah said. Leah didn't just say, now my husband will love me. She also said, why? And she said the following. She said, contrast... Ruvain to Esav. 
Esav sold the firstborn. sold the firstborn. He sold it fair and square. He sold it because he saw no value in it. He saw it because he he he, he wasn't interested in it, etc. As we discussed last week, he sold it and then claimed he didn't sell it willingly. Claimed he was tricked and then despised Yaakov for it and then wanted to kill Yaakov, his own brother, his own brother. He wanted to kill. Says Leah to Yaakov, when I tell you who this son Ruvain is and what he is all about, you're going to love me. Listen carefully. Ruvain, says Leah, is going to be the one who's going to save Yosef's life when his own brothers want to kill him. Let's say that again slowly. Esav is the one who wants to kill his brother for no reason. Ruvain, the first son of Leah, is the one who, when he has every legitimate reason to despise, be jealous, and angry of Yosef, is the one who saves his brother's life when other brothers hate him and want to kill him. What was Leah saying? Leah turned to her husband Yaakov and said, My dear husband, as a Jewish wife, it's my job to reveal to you, to teach you, deeper levels and deeper layers in the relationship between Jews and the experiences that go on here that you don't see. Says Leah to her husband Yaakov, you see in the future Jews don't get along. You see Jews in difficult position. You see Jews at each other's throats and you see the disastrous repercussions that will come from it, yes? And you keep wishing to yourself, if only we were one family, if only there was one wife and one singular mission and no animosity ever between Jews. Says Leah, you're making a terrible mistake. The definition of Jewish unity, the definition of Jews loving each other, and being united and sticking up for each other and protecting each other is not the absence of things that of not is not the absence of reasons to divide them. Jewish unity doesn't mean that there's nothing that pulls us apart. Jewish unity doesn't mean that we don't struggle at times with jealousy or animosity or things of that nature. As human beings, we're always vulnerable to something that will pull us apart. Look at my son Ruvain, says Leah to Yaakov. Open your two eyes. Stare him in the face. You'll see not the source of all of Jewish suffering, Rahman al-Islam, but you'll see the source of all of Jewish healing, the continuity, the, the, the promise of Hashem that the Jews will survive and thrive no matter what they go through, is all personified in my son Ruvain. You know why? Because he's the one who's going to heal the divide between Jews. He's going to be the one who can see Jews who are at each other's throat and bring unity between them. He's going to heal the fragmented nation. He's going to turn to brothers and remind them, we're not going to strike a soul. And he's going to save them. And the Jewish people will be saved in the end. Because despite the fact that at times we don't get along, we always find our way to become united once again. As Ruven is born to husband Yaakov, when you hear this, you're going to fall in love with me. I'm giving you a son who is responsible not for the division between Jews, 
Causes for division, there's no shortage of causes for division in this world. Jews can find anything to argue about. You think if they would come from one woman, they would get along and never fight. You think you can remove from them reasons to not get along. That's not how you create unity. You create unity by teaching them like my son Ruvain says Leah, who will teach them that even when you hate your brother for whatever reason, strike him, God forbid. Instead, you save him from you save him from their hand. The psychologists of the world like to tell us that when people are concerned about danger, when people see in their mind's eye the potential for something to hurt them, it elicits within our system something called flight or fight. Flight or fight, I'm not a psychologist, but flight or fight to the best of my very limited understanding means we have basically two options. One is flight to run away. If we run away, perhaps we can hide. We can avoid this particular danger or tsora or mishap from happening. We can, we can prevent it. We can, we can make sure that it doesn't come our way in the first place and we can be saved by not having to encounter this problem in the first place. That's one option. Sometimes. Another option is fight. This means when the tsora, when the calamity, when the challenge, whatever it is, comes our way, and it's not avoidable, we have to deal with it. If we have to deal with it, then we have to fight. Flight or fight, we're either going to avoid it or we're going to deal with it. Yaakov, perhaps in this sense, takes the flight attitude. He wants to just marry one woman so that all, the, all of his sons will be sons of one wife and, and they won't disagree about anything. And Leah says, that's not the meaning of Jewish unity and that's not what's going to happen. You think if they're all sons of the same woman, they won't fight. I promise you, leave it up to Jews, they'll find something to fight about. Instead, we need, we need not the flight approach, but the fight approach. What, is it, what do I mean fight? Fight the division. Fight the animosity between Jews. Fight the, 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 the hatred and the jealousy and the dark forces that sometimes raise their ugly heads and creep up among Jews. And how do you fight it with light? How do you, how do you fight it like Ruvain does? By saving a Jewish life. Even in the harshest of circumstances. Leah says to Yaakov, when you realize that, Ki ato ye ishi, now my husband Yaakov will love me because he'll see that I'm not the source, that I'm not the source of all the tsoros Rahman al-Islam that will, will befall Kal Yisrael. Quite the contrary, as long as we remember the message of Ruvain to save the life of Yosef, we'll be saved no matter what it is that, no matter what it is that we go through. The brothers had all sorts of reasons, we'll learn about it in Mirza Shem next week or the week after. The brothers had all sorts of reasons why they wanted to kill Yosef, right? Some say they saw him as a roidif, they saw him as the one responsible for bringing the Jews to Egypt, as, as we're learning today, etc. They saw him as a master, they, they had all sorts of calculations. It was Ruvain, in the end, who told them, no matter how brilliant and how rabbinic and how calculated your, your calculations are, we will not strike a Jew, we will remember that we are all Jews. And this message of Reuven in the end is what saves Klal Yisrael. Of course, I'm saying this with the tremendous amount of, of anti-Semitism that the Jewish world is facing over the past couple of weeks. After 
somewhere between 12 and 1400 of our fellow brothers and sisters Jews were massacred in a, in, in a brutality and in an, in a, in an attack that, that, that brings us right back to the Holocaust. Rahman al 250 Jews taken captive, babies, children, old people, young people, Holocaust survivors, Rahman al Killed and maimed and desecrated, like we only read about in Kinnis on Tishabov and, 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 and in, in the darkest of our nightmares. It's materializing before our eyes. As Jews, I say this to you from my heart, we don't ask why. We don't ask why because there is no answer. And there cannot be any answer. And we're not looking for an answer. And we're not hoping for an answer. And an answer won't help anything. Instead of asking why, we ask, what do we do? And Rahman al-Islam, whenever Jewish people are faced by a tzora, it's always the same answer. And it's always the answer given to us by the first of the 12 tribes that were born, by Yishma Ruvain, by Yatzileu Miyodam, and reminds the Jewish people that we have to be united. That we have to stop focusing on that which tears us apart. And we have to stop tearing each other apart. And wake up. And realize that we're alone with Almighty God protecting us as Jews. And that's it. I dare say, I dare say, before we were attacked on Shemini Yatzeres and Simchas Torah, particularly in Eretz Yisrael, we weren't doing so well in terms of our Jewish unity. We had become completely focused on that which divides us. I don't want to get into the specifics. I'm sure everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. We had turned on each other. We were like the brothers and Yosef, perhaps. Now it's time to remember the message of Ruvain. That which makes yeah, that which made Yaakov fall in love with Leah. That, that which makes, our rabbis tell us, of course, that the relationship between the Jewish people and Hashem is like a woman and her husband. That which makes the Rabboina Shaloylam Ki'ato Ye'ehovani Ishi, the Rabboina Shaloylam, fall in love with us all over again. And what is it? That one Jew needs to save the life of another Jew. First and foremost, physically. Secondly, when a Jew's life is physically in danger. Secondly, just as important, spiritually. When one Jew is in danger, physical or spiritual, another Jew needs to be called to action. It's time not to sit in judgment and divisiveness and say, it's your problem, it's my problem, don't force me to do this and I won't force you to do that. As it's time as brothers to stand up and say, we will not strike another Jew, Rahman al-Islam. When we're in danger, it's so easy. All the differences disappear. Right? I keep talking about this because I'm so fascinated by this. Apparently, there isn't a pair of tzitzis to be found anywhere in Eretz Yisrael. Can't find them. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Religious, not religious. Jewish backgrounds, not Jewish backgrounds. They're all wearing tzitzis. They know what it means. They don't know what it means. They know how to make a bracha. They don't know how to make a bracha. Wearing a yarmulke, not wearing a yarmulke. Everybody wants tzitz. Everybody wants tzitzis. Tzitzis. It's, a, it's, it's not just a symbol. It's a mitzvah. We've woken up one morning to discover that we're alone and united. 
the moment the Jewish life was in danger, Ruvain emerged roaring. The Bechoy, Ruvain, Bechoy Yisrael, Loina Kanu Nefesh, we may not, we may not dare strike a Jew. Chas Vashalom. Leah told her husband, you have the wrong approach. Don't look at who to blame. Don't go through life looking at who to blame and who to despise for all of the tzoros that have befallen us. It's this one's fault. It's that, if that, it's that one's fault. If only Lovon hadn't done this or done that, he hadn't given Leah instead of Rochel. If only Rochel hadn't given the Simonim. If only it would have been one wife. Leah says it's, the wrong, it's, not the way, yeah, it's not the way a Jewish mother looks at it. The tzoros may Hashem protect us. One day the Rabbani Shalom will have to answer for What's upon us? To produce children, sons and daughters like the Ruvains of the world who will say that, who, who will point out to us and say, there are real Esavs out there. Look, the Esavs are out there. They're ready to destroy us. Hashem has promised us we have nothing to fear. Altira. Instead of fear, we should experience strength. And instead of, instead of feeling weak, we should feel strong and determined and courageous. And if we're going to learn anything from what we go through, then let it be that as Jews, we're invincible if we are together. Our Achilles heel, where we are vulnerable, is where Achmon al-Islan, we allow differentiation to creep up between us. I'll conclude with this. I was reading lately, Rahman al-Islam, our enemies, particularly in the Middle East, have been watching the proceedings in Eretz Yisrael, the political proceedings, the, the governmental proceedings, all the stuff that's been going on in Eretz Yisrael over the past couple of years, the repeated elections again and again, the stuff between the legal arm of the government and the political arm of the government and everything that's going on. And our enemies knew, unbelievable, that the moment to strike, Rahman al-Islam, may Hashem protect us, is the moment when we're divided. Because that's when we're weak. We're weak when we're divided. And I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but they're not entirely wrong. When we're divided, we're weak. Instead, in the words of Leah to her husband Ruvain, in the words of the Jewish people to Klal Yisrael, we are going to be united. We will save each other from any pit and from any misfortune. We'll fight arm in arm till death do us part. And in that merit, ki ato now, ye'ehovani ishi, let our husband, the Rabbi Shlolom, fall in love with us all over again. Let him save us, please God, from all of our tsaras, from all of our enemies overseas, here, locally, from all the anti-Semitism in the world. Let him bring us Mashiach, please God, who is, of course, descended from Leah. Isn't that ironic? In the end, Mashiach himself from Shevet Yudah comes from Leah, not from Rachel. Because Mashiach in the end is not the absence of the it's not the absence of a tsara. It's to teach Jews that no matter what we go through, if we're united truly. When we are truly united, we'll merit, please God, speedily in our days, the coming of our righteous Mashiach, who will usher in an era for the Jewish people of ultimate joy and ultimate happiness, please God, forevermore. Amen. Good Shabbos.